we were like those who dream. Is that exciting? I mean, <laughs> I've been thinking about this passage all week in preparation for preaching and then thinking about what, a, what do I think about when I think about we were like those who dream. Some of the things that come to mind are uh, the song I can only imagine, right? It's, it's this idea, this dream, or John Lennon's song, Imagine, or um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech of I have a dream, right? And, and a dream of, of, of community and peace, or dream of Narnia, right? We, we love Narnia. We love the beauty of it, or, or Tolkien and, and Lord of the Rings. There's all these different things that I think of when I... When I hear that, we were like those who dream, and then I look at my life, and I'm like, that's not the same as like those who dream. That's kind of the mundane, the everyday, and I get a little bit caught up in that, and I forget that, that when, the, when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, they said that they were like those who dream. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his... Uh, uh, his translation of the Bible, the message, it's that, he says it like this. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true, when God returned Zion's exiles. Too good to be true. Really, that's the way that God does it every time. Too good to be true. We, when, we, when we experience the presence of God, the gifts of God, we think to ourselves, man, this is too good to be true. How could this be? And for the exiled people of God, right, which is what we're talking about, when we talk uh, the Psalms of Ascents, we're resting in these exiled people or people that would travel back. They've, they live somewhere else, but they travel back to Jerusalem, and these are the songs that they would sing. And so there's this building anticipation on the road when they're thinking, when, when we are restored to Zion, to where God is, it's like a dream. We were like people who dreamed. And so it's, it's not only a movement, uh, a transition of location. It's, it's not like this physical movement, but it's this idea, right? And a, and a status that they are going from one place to another. For the Hebrew people, it actually meant freedom. If they were in exile, we don't know when this was written. It could have been written and they're re- remembering the exodus, right? When God pulled them out of Egypt and established them as a people. Or maybe it's the actual going into the promised land and seeing the, the promises of God and having those fortunes restored to them. Or maybe it's the exile for, to Babylon and then coming back to the temple after being enslaved and captured by several different people groups. But whatever it is, it's more than just that movement of, of location. It's an idea of who we are. And the remembering of who we are. As we read, it's more than likely not fortunes when we think of fortunes. It's not fortunes as in money or fortunes as in possessions. It's the fortunes of being restored to their God. And so today, that's where we begin. Let's pray and just ask that God would open our eyes and open our ears. Lord, we, we come humbly. We hope God, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to where we would have the same joy that our mouths would be filled with laughter, that our tongues with shouts of joy. God, help us to remember who we are because of what you've done and because of who you are today. 
Lord, make this a reality for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your word that's being proclaimed throughout the world, Lord. And there's a people today that are remembering the restored fortunes that they have, that they were dead and now they're alive because of who you are. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would stir that in us. God, that together as a people who have already confessed we are sinners, we need a Savior, Lord, remind us again of the Savior that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this. We trust you in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to walk through this passage. We're also going to jump to a bunch of Scripture today. So um, I'm going to read the, the passage before I read the Scripture and after, so that if you're taking notes, you can write it down, and this will be in the notes later for community group and different things. So what I, what I won't do is kind of wait for everybody to turn there, because I've already got them written down. So just so you know that, I'm going to be moving through them pretty quick. Write the, write the verses down. Go back, read them this week. Sit in them, right? What a gift that we get to take this home with us. This is the only place where we hear God's Word, but we go home every day with God's Word, both in our hearts and in this book. And so I would just encourage you in that. So kind of setting the tone for us today. The idea of having the fortunes restored, right? Verses 1 through 4 are really about, A, having the fortunes restored and what that produces, and then, like, needing it again. And that's, the, that's this constant pilgrimage that's happening for the, for the exiled people and for the people, the Hebrew people. They would constantly, we said, up to three times a year, they would travel back to Jerusalem to worship their God. And so, they would need that fortune restored again to be right in, in, in the presence of God. But another place it might come from is from Exodus. And we talked about it, we mentioned it. The idea of the Exodus and the people coming out of slavery, out of bondage to the Egyptians, to, to Pharaoh. And God draws them out in a magnificent way a lot of us know the, the story of the plagues, the story of the parting of the Red Sea. Like, this is stuff when, you're, when you say, we were like people who dreamed. <laughs> Imagine a whole sea going up and walls, and then you walking across on dry land, and then you get to the other side, and the people, that, the bad guys, the really bad guys that are chasing you, suddenly are swept up. That's like a dream. We were like those who dreamed. And so, let's read... Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Again, I'm going to read it. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This is, this is the fortunes restored. This is going from captivity and having nothing to having everything in the presence of God. And this might be what caused this psalm to occur. But it's throughout the story of God. That's just one instance. There's, we talked about it. There's other stories where the people were brought out of captivity into the presence of God, able to worship again, and they rejoice. Psalm 126, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, it has a lot of parallels throughout Scripture. My strength in, in Exodus, he's saying, the Lord is my strength and my song. I will praise him. Something fills us to where we have to acknowledge that God has done something amazing. 
And it goes on. It talks about not only do they recognize it, but the people around them recognize it. They say, man, their God has been really good to them. There's something about them, the joy that they have, the fact that they can laugh in the midst of circumstances like that. The Hebrew people didn't only sing these songs while they were traveling. They would sing them in captivity. They would remind themselves of the hope that they have in the God who was faithful, not because they were faithful, but because God was faithful. That would be the song that would be stirred in their hearts as they remembered the restored fortunes. And so the people around them saw that. And they, they might even be the first people to see it. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own lives that we don't see the goodness of God in our life, but others around us might see it. And they'll be like, man, God's doing something good in you. And then you'll think, and you'll be like these people, and you'll say, yeah, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Sometimes we need that perspective. And what a gift to be able to do this as the body of Christ together, because we'll forget And someone will come along and say, no, look what God's doing. Look what he's restored. Look at how he's restored our fortunes. There will be times where together we're going to need somebody to say, Lord, will you restore our fortunes? Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. We're talking some of the context here. And one of the contextualizations is, is the idea of a captivity and being freed. But another one is a dry and barren wasteland. A lot of us haven't been to Israel. We don't know what the Negev is. I had to look it up. But it's this dry basin, right? And it gets cracked. And so I'm thinking of, of my wife's family. They have uh, the, the river that, I don't, what's the river? The Santa Ana that flows through Riverside, California. And you don't even know why it's called Riverside because most of the time it's dried up. There's not much to it. But then the rains will come, and they will flood that area, and it can become really dangerous. And so that's, what, that's what's happening here, is there's this negative that is dry and has nothing, but when it rains, it fills it, and it becomes, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, like those torrents that would come, and the water rushes through, and it, and it actually brings life. It sustains those things by filling with water, and so that, that's what this this idea of the Negev is, and so it's asking, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Where they rise, they become overwhelming, and we see that in that filling with laughter and filling with joy. Idea of restoring our fortunes. It's really exciting. But I love the fact, just like we've talked about each week, God is so kind and gracious in his word. Because maybe today you're like, I'm not experiencing that. I'm not experiencing joy. I'm not experiencing these things that we're talking about. And so in verse 5, he speaks to us who may not, maybe we've had a hard week. Maybe we've had a hard month. Maybe it's been a hard year. God speaks to us. It says in verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So in both those verses, the first part is talking about what it's like to sow in tears and in sorrow, in sadness. And God uses that sadness. We've talked, this is a, this is a, a theme throughout Scripture that there is suffering 
real suffering that happens to the people of God. And so if you are experiencing real suffering, you are not outside of the people of God. You are right where he has you, and he is there with you. Habakkuk, so this is Old Testament. This is them crying out, and it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no flood, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's going to cause weeping. That's going to cause tears to flow because there's a lack. There's a need there. But it continues on and it says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's the, that's the promise. So even as they were experiencing sorrow, and even as they were sowing with tears, there was a hope that they had, that they would reap. Galatians, if you, if you think, well, that's Old Testament, and then Jesus came and he made everything better, he did, but we're still experiencing suffering. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of God. There's a work that needs to be done. The sowing is an actual labor. The reaping, too, is a labor. So there's a work that we're called to, to partner with Christ, to partner with what God is doing. And don't grow weary and then James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is a sowing that happens in the suffering. Think about, just to bring it home a little bit, I think about this year. I think about us as a people and how we have suffered. I think about particularly my family and some of the loss that we've experienced. And I'm like, God, this is, this is hard. How does this, how is this good? And yet the promise might be that I never get to see the reaping. But I'm part of the body of Christ. We've talked about this, this communal idea this corporate identity that we share, that maybe we don't even get to see the reaping in our lives. The bringing in of the good things, the joy and the rejoicing. But we know that the sowing that happens in our tears and in the sorrow and in the suffering brings forth the glory of God. And we can still experience joy in that suffering. Five and six, the second parts, talk about this reaping with shouts of joy. God's people reap the joy of being with God. That's what the psalm is talking about. It's talking about restoring our fortunes. The fortune that they have is the presence of God. Their God, who has promised to be with them. So they would have faith like that of Mount Zion. They would be like Mount Zion that's not moved. They would be surrounded by the other mountains, they would have the presence of God. We've seen it throughout the Psalms. We see it throughout Scripture that God has promised that He is with us. 
And so even in the suffering, whether we're, whether we're suffering and we're sowing tears of sadness or tears of joy because we're so excited God is with us, that is the fortune that we have. And that is the fortune that they are reaping. And this reaping with shouts of joy is throughout Scripture. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, we just read this a couple weeks ago, let us go to the house of the Lord. The restoration of the presence, the, the people of God into the presence of God gives them gladness and joy. Psalm 4, 6 through 7, it says, There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You start talking about harvesting and bringing in the grain and then even wine, so you're thinking, man, so I've seen some happy people when they drink wine, right? But he's saying, no, you've given me more than that. You've given me more joy than that. Zechariah 2.10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. All of these promises are God with us. Before we take this and try to make it about us, before we take this and say, man, I just need to be joyful in the midst of whatever it is, whether I'm, I'm experiencing the goodness of God or I'm experiencing sorrow and I need to sow in those tears, we need to remember that all of Scripture points to who God is. So there's only one who is sown in tears and actually reaped a harvest. He's the only one that has done something that has produced something. We get to partner in that, but it's only because of the work of Jesus. So, before we make it about us, let's look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's not a great cloud, but look around, there's some witnesses. We are surrounded by those who believe this to be true. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for what? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to talk about sowing in tears. We look at Jesus. We look at his last week on earth. We see the tears that he sowed with his disciples when they betrayed him. Right? When he goes, and we, we want to point to Judas, and we're like, yeah, he's a bad dude anyways, and he, of course he betrayed him. But think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out, and he's praying, and he's asking God. In Luke 22, 41 through 44, it said, and he withdrew from them, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down into the ground. When we talk about sowing in tears... We have a Savior who has sown in tears, who has sown in suffering, who has weeped, wept. And we, we ask, we point to Judas, and he betrayed him, but what about those three that he really loved, that he took with him into the garden, and he said, hey, if you'll just stay awake and pray with me. They, betray, they messed up too. They fell short. 
They couldn't even stay awake while he was praying. And yet we have this gift that Jesus worked in the sorrow and in the suffering our salvation. And he reaped a reward. And he did it in joy. It says that in that, in that passage in Hebrews. It says, for the joy set before him. There's a joy that Jesus experienced in redeeming a people for himself. And so he reaps in joy. And because of what he's done, we have a current inheritance. I want Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, we have an inheritance right now, the same inheritance that the psalmist is crying out for, to be in the presence of God, God has given us through Jesus. He has called us, and, and because of the work of Jesus, he's instilled his church with the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God with us all the time. That is the fortune that's been restored to us by the work of the Savior. That's what we have. How are we not laughing with joy? How are we not shouting with joy? Because we forget. We forget that that's who we are in Christ. We have this current inheritance now. And we have a future inheritance. That current inheritance doesn't take away any of the suffering that we experience. It doesn't make life easy and comfortable, but it does give us the hope. Revelation 19, 6-8 says this, Then I heard what seemed like the, to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is our inheritance. We have an inheritance now to walk in the righteousness of Christ. And we have an, a future inheritance where all of the sadness and all of the sorrow and all of the tears will be wiped away, where Christ will come and He will restore. He will restore our fortunes in the present in the actual, we will experience Him, see Him face to face, no longer through a mirror dimly, but we will know our Savior. He will call us by name, and we will be known. That's both the current and the future inheritance. They are one and the same. That right now we have God, and forever we will have God. What a gift. This is ours in Christ. It's the only way that any of this is ours. It's because of what Christ has done. That he came, he, he sowed in tears, and he has reaped the reward. That by his atoning work on the cross, we, a rebellious, wayward people, have been reconciled to a holy God because he paid the punishment for our sin. He paid the death that was due us. And his righteousness now is on our record. When God looks at us, he no longer sees Joel the sinner. He sees Jesus the son perfect because of the blood of Jesus. 
Romans 5, 1 through 5 says this. I want to leave us with this this morning, and I hope that this, is, this stirs us to, to laughter and joy. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. If you're sowing in tears now, rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the hope of God's people. If you are in Christ today, you have a current grace, a current access to God, both in the indwelling presence of the Spirit and who Christ is, and access to the Father, and you have a future glory. That's a reality for us today. And if that's a reality for us today, then we were like those who dreamed. Right? We're going to have to pinch ourselves to to really begin to understand, no, this is the reality of what we have. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, we've we've forgotten this week who we are. We may even have been sidetracked in the, in the middle of our time together this morning, forgetting who we are. And yet, Lord, you have sown with tears and reaped a harvest that is ours. You've restored our fortunes. You've restored right relationship between a, a rebellious and sinful people and a holy God. And you did it, Jesus, by giving of yourself, by laying down your life, And so, Lord, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God this morning. I pray that we would be a people that our mouths would be filled with laughter, that our tongues would be full of shouts of joy, that we would be quick with praise, that we would be quick with honor, all of it for your glory. God, would you do that? Would you stir us to be that people? And, Lord, those that are sowing in tears, I pray that they would... They would experience your presence. God, that they would experience the restored fortunes of you being in the midst of those tears. God, and I pray that even in the midst of our tears, we would shout for joy, worshiping a holy God. May we be that people, not so that people would look at us and say, man, they are happy people, but so that look, people would look at us and say, look, The Lord has done great things for them. And we would be able to say the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.